Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it is warm. I went for a walk this morning, and I heard geese. Uh, Canada geese were honking, and they were headed north. And uh, Canada geese that are too young to breed, along with those that maybe lost nests early in the breeding season, they undertake a molt migration in late May and early June. So they fly to northern and even subarctic areas where they molt their fly flight feathers and spend the summer. And then they migrate back here. We'll probably see the same geese in September or October. So it's uh, it's something to listen to at this time of year. It's it's always kind of neat to hear Canada geese. Uh, and I ran outside to fill the bird feeders this morning, and I scurried like a car hop looking for a big tip. And I, I checked the Niger seed feeders. Goldfinches love this seed, at least in my yard. It was once commonly called thistle seed, and it's native to Ethiopia. And they do clean the seed, but sometimes there's uh, other kinds of weed seed that gets in there. So it is sterilized by heat treatment to deter the germination of these noxious weeds. And it works, but it shortens the life of the seed, making the Niger seed vulnerable to spoilage. So it spoils like milk. It only lasts so long. And Niger contains this natural high-calorie oil, and when the oil dries, the seed loses food value and flavor and is therefore shunned by the birds. So, boy, you have to replace Niger seed maybe every month if it's not being eaten. Uh, Niger seed stays fresh for as long as three months, so buy it in amounts you'll use in that time. Don't buy a a huge, huge, giant-sized bag. I, I was But I might cost- save 50 cents, Al, so I want to buy the big one. Yeah. <laughs> you know how that goes is, is you buy way too much, and then you don't use it, and you end up throwing it out. So, yeah, we don't want to do that. And, boy, that's true in everything from garden seeds to uh, bread, everything you can think of. Where, well, except toilet paper. I guess we can always use that. But it... it you know, I, I always call it Costco size, not to pick on Costco or anything, but you don't want those giant bags unless you're feeding that much. And if you're going through that much, more power to you. I uh, saw, I've been seeing a monarch butterfly at least one every day, and boy, they polish my day. I love seeing monarchs anytime. But when I saw them in May again, it's just, there's something special about seeing them in May. I went for a walk. I listened closely. I didn't have to listen that hard because a noisy killdeer hobbled by on crutches. Mm -hmm. Well, it it really didn't. It it feigned having a broken wing, and it dragged its bad wing while calling loudly. And the display is meant to draw me away from its nest. Why would a hungry predator like me want measly little eggs when I could have a plump bird like her? (laughs) And the killdeer's nest was a scrape in the gravel, and the eggs blend in with their background. I heard a yellow warbler called the mnemonic is sweet, 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 I'm so sweet. Uh, Collective nouns for this species are trepidation or sweetness. I think I'm going to go with sweetness. I heard a red-eyed vireo sing a series of slurred notes this morning. It sounds as if it were counting the leaves. Uh, Perhaps it asks a question and then answers its own question. We've all done that. I watched a ditch mallard stand on one leg, and that probably felt good. 
and isn't unlike me putting my feet up on my desk. A red-winged blackbird launched a vigorous attack on a crow, and the crow was likely relieved its attacker wasn't a great horned owl. Owls and crows make the Hatfields and McCoys seem like best friends. I found a headless crow years ago, and an owl probably ate the head. Uh, brains are nutritious, and they're relatively easy to get at through the thinner bones of the skull. And the juncture between the head and the body on birds is a weak one. So the head can be removed quickly, leaving an opening also into the upper torso, allowing easy access to organ meats without needing to pull off many feathers first. So there's a reason for their madness. Uh, thanks, Rich, for sending the uh, photo of a bat. Uh, you know, I love Do you bats. know what kind of bat it is? He says, yeah, I had a friend take an afternoon nap on my screen door yesterday afternoon before going out for a night of eating bugs. He's welcome back anytime but needs a place to sleep from Rich in Mankato. Yeah, I was wondering what kind of bat do you know what that is? It's a really cool picture, though. It is, and it's really nice, Rich, that you uh, you welcome them because... You know, not everybody, bats and snakes and things like that have uh, people that don't really care that much for them. So it's really nice. I I love seeing them. They do so much good. Uh, The most common uh, bat in probably in Minnesota, certainly in North America, would be the, the little brown bat. And so that's probably what it is. It's there. We we see. We don't see as many bats as we used to, and we don't see as many bats as we should because they're they're just hard to see. They're out there at night when we're probably not always out, but we get the little brown bat and the big brown bat are the most common. And uh, the little brown has a wingspan, and I'm holding my fingers apart here to help you all. Maybe I'm uh, seven inches and the big brown bat has a wingspan of about a foot. But other than that, they look pretty similar. They have those kind of velvety brown bodies. They have dark faces. And so it, it'd be one of those. The young ones are usually born in June. Uh, they, they're young. Uh, they're large when they're young. They grow quickly, and they're able to fly on their own within just uh, maybe three weeks or so. So it, it certainly, I would guess, would be one of those two, Rich, and I appreciate you sending that. That is uh, that is really cool. And you uh, you had something at was this at your lake place? Yes, I am. I am creating creating a pollinator paradise for the shoreline. I got a grant from the Soil and Water Conservation to put in pollinator uh, native plants because, as you know, native plants have very very deep roots. And so I'm doing it by the shoreline at, down by the lake and took out about 55 feet of sod because otherwise the water just, just rushes across the sod, taking any pollutants, anything else right into the lake. And that's why our lakes are so polluted is because there's, you know, so many people that have taken away some of our natural vegetation. So I'm recreating some of that into a pollinator garden. Well, while digging by these big, because we do have riprap along there because it's in the narrow, so, you know, it gets a little wave action. But right next to these big boulders, as I'm digging down, all of a sudden I'm smelling this really strong scent. And the day before I had put on some bug spray, which kind of had a citronella smell. And I kept thinking, well, no, I, why do I keep smelling that? Because I don't think, and then I'm sniffing my shoulders by my, you know, thinking that I put it on my neck. And, you know, just really curious because 
I took a shower the night before, and I said, wow, that citronella stuff is really hard to, to get rid of. And so then I would, you know, move along, and then I'd do another shovel, and I'd smell it again. Well, it always coincided with when I'd put the shovel down, there was all these little yellowish ants that were all over with their little eggs. And, you know, I was moving. They were living right along the rocks as I was clearing the turf. And so I, I put two and two together finally after <laughs> trying to figure out if I didn't shower well and decided, well, those that smells like citronella. So I typed in um, uh, ants with the citronella smell. And lo and behold, they're called the citronella ant. And so uh, it, apparently it says uh, in the, the information I found, it says these small yellow ants emit a lemon-like scent when they feel threatened or are stepped on. Well, I probably shoveled a few of them, hence the name oh. Citronella Ant. So I, I was pretty excited to discover something I didn't know. And my son, Grant, who is obsessed with ants, he, um, he says, well, I don't know about those either, Mom. So I said, well, you're going to have to come down. We'll have to, you know, dig and we can find some and look at them and study them. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about them. Uh, see what you knew about them. Yeah, and another name for them is the large yellow ant. Oh, which, uh, well, they're pretty sense. small, though. They're not really big. I, that's what I was just going to say. Oh, I okay. would not consider them big at all, but there are other yellow ants that oh. are much smaller, so I'm guessing they're yellow in that perspective. Yeah. They're an ant that we don't typically see in our homes, so no. that's why a lot of people would not be familiar with them. I think the only time we might get them in the house is when they're uh, swarming, when some of the uh, uh, the winged part of that species might find their way in a home accidentally. But they're out there mainly. They eat aphids and that sort of thing. They're uh, subterranean in nature. And they feed on the honeydew produced by aphids and mealybugs. So they're good for the garden then. I want them in the garden, right? Yep. And a lot of those things feed on the roots of trees. So the ants are down there. Well, they're they're like little farmers milking those (laughs) aphids. So every day they get out and milk the aphids. They are uh, really, uh, I think, a really neat, they're just really neat ants. All ants are neat, I think, but I agree with your son there. I love ants. Do they have the Um, same social structure? You know, ants seem like they have a really intensified social structure. Are these similar to the other ants? I know because Grant watches all these, my son Grant watches all these videos of showing the, you know, how the different ones work and worker ones, et cetera, and do those sorts of things. Are these similar? They would be. And uh, when they're swarming in these mating flights, there's a really strong uh, citronella odor then. So they're all excited, I suppose, all worked up. And you get that smell, uh, so it's really neat. When you mention the citronella smell, I thought, well, it's either ants or geranium. And I don't know if other people, I know we all smell things differently, but geranium gives off kind of a citronella oh. smell to me also. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, that might, again, you know, somebody else might go, no, it doesn't. I just smelled <laughs> one now. You know, I pulled one. But to me, it does. And um, Well, so would, if they have a citronella smell, would they repel mosquitoes too? Because that's what I was hoping. I was thinking, well, maybe yeah. a... Maybe not, or do they? I, you know, there was a a journal, it's called Journal of Insect Science, and there might be more to that name. They did a study of all these things, and they found that citronella, uh, citronella flunked 
the herbal extract bracelets flunked, the sonic mm. mosquito repellers flunked. Uh, I know the CDC lists one of those things. It's an oil of lemon eucalyptus spray. I think I'm right on that. Is the only one that made the list. Huh. So, uh, you know, which is sad news for me because I'm still stuck with DEET. I want something else. And I know if we think things work, they do work. That's true in everything. So there is uh, some of that that maybe we just make things work because we think it works. But all the tests and everything so far saying uh, citronella candles and everything else really don't work. And they um, they tried the plants and they tried sprays and it was it was just bad news all the way around. And uh, oh, I was in a magazine and I don't know if it was Birds and Blooms. It was one of these where they were scientists were studying tomato plants to see if there was a spray there because apparently tomatoes that plants have the ability to repel certain insects. So they were trying to see if that might be the mosquito spray of the future and oh i still have my fingers crossed i haven't heard <laughs> anything more this was a couple of years ago but we all know stuff like that takes a long time so i'm, I'm just hoping hoping oh, that'd be so cool uh eric steinmetz uh, what a good guy eric is he said in the science fiction anthology again dangerous visions about 50 years ago there was a story chuck berry won't you please come home about some stoners who adopted a tick they found on what? their dog named it Chuck Berry. <laughs> You're kidding. They, they <laughs> fed it by taking turns attaching it to themselves for a while, usually when they had a proverbial illegal smile, until it had grown to the size of a pillow over several weeks. As I recall, the story had oh an unhappy ending. I, I, yeah, I would think it would. Thanks, Eric. Uh, Jim Scott sent me a thing from BBC how bumblebees trick plants into flowering early. It's the first time scientists have observed this behavior, which bees do when pollen is scarce. And it looked like in the video that they just damage leaves and things. So they cut the leaves back. So the plant is saying, boy, i got to get out and i got to get these leaves going. And then they flower early. So it was um, it was pretty cool. Uh, oh, I should have mentioned this a long time ago. I, I keep writing down Laura Bush. That's all I have in the notes here, and I, I just go by it. It's kind of done now. But the former First Lady, Laura Bush, has been a bird watcher since the age of 10 when her mother, also her Girl Scout leader, helped her earn her bird badge. And Laura Bush has added her voice to an awareness campaign called Lights Out Texas, encouraging property owners to turn off non-essential lighting during nights of peak migration. And as I, I'm late on that, but I just I think it's really cool that she's done that. Uh, Jody Swenson of Owatonna and a summer tanager. Uh, Bill Odie, a photo of five black-bellied whistling ducks on a pond in Winnebago County, Iowa. Uh, Jody Bollinger of Albert Lee, Scarlet Tanager, uh, Neil Batt of Heartland, a pileated woodpecker, and he almost stepped on a fawn, right? He said, boy, he just stopped his foot oh. in time because it was hiding in the grass, all curled up. Joel Xavier of Allendale said, uh, he's my neighbor, and he said, can you identify these for me, please? Send a photo. 
And he said, I'm not looking for first names like Larry, Curly, etc. See, he is my neighbor and knows me. Um, they're trumpeter swans, Joel. And he also said the indigo bunting he heard at my house was out in the open last Sunday. Hadn't seen one for quite a while. Uh, Dale Waltz of Rochester, trumpeter swan at the Straight River Marsh. That's on 45 between Ellendale and Oatana. Uh, Laura Fletcher said, hello, I'm writing to see if you can identify the bird call at the end of this eight-second clip. I've never heard this before. I live in New Ulm. Thank you. Enjoy your shows on KMSU. Uh, Laura, I hear two birds on there. I, the one that's on there the most is a house finch. It has a jumbled warbling composed of short notes. The song often ends with an upward or downward slur. And they were once sold as cage birds because of their singing ability, and they were called Hollywood finches in the pep trade. And the other sound I heard was a liquid whistle produced by a Baltimore Oriole. Its flute-like sound is a rich tone of paired notes in a series. That one I knew. Uh, Dan Kelly, though, uh, said he had heard something that sounded like the trumpet fanfare before the fans yell charge at uh, athletic events. So, da, 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 da. I have no idea what that is, Dan. So I sent Dan just all kinds of sparrows and thrushes, and I thought there's an uh, Oriole, and, and Dan pretty much said no, 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 <laughs> no, and no. So he's going to try to record it. He hears it when he's out golfing. So if anybody's got an idea on that, boy, you know, um, after you strike out so many times, you just, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, Brad Abendroth, there's a Wimbrel in Steele County at the Armstrong Restoration Project, also a black neck stilt and a canvas back. Uh, Donna Stolas of Glenville asked, she said, Al, how common are scarlet tanagers in Minnesota? They're regular breeding residents and migrants. Uh, they are broadly distributed, but they're most abundant in the north-central region of the state where they can utilize the mature upland forest habitats there. Uh, Dave Bartke saw a gadwall in Steele County, Pine Warbler in Dodge County, and a Bell's Vireo in Rice County. Uh, Gerald Hoekstra saw a Hensel Sparrow in Rice County. Brad, Brad Abendroth, a chestnut-sided warbler in Dodge County. Bob Williams, a cattle egret in Steele County. Oh, I love seeing those guys. Uh, Chad Hines saw a snow goose in Nicollet County. And Steve Hudeck. So an American black duck in Steele County, uh, a lesser scop, yellow-bellied flycatcher also in Steele County, and an alder flycatcher in Dodge County. Ronald Erpelding saw a broadwing hawk, yellow-bellied flycatcher, veery, and blackpole warbler in Wasika County, and an oven bird and blackpole warbler in Mauer County. Uh, good friend Tom Bovers. And he lives in Fairbolt, saw a black and white warbler there, Connecticut warbler and Tennessee warbler. Sharon Holzer in Brown County had a Tennessee and a morning warbler. And Diedrich Benz 
had a yellow-bellied flycatcher, an alder flycatcher in Faribault County, alder flycatcher in Lesueur County, and a blue grosbeak in Blue Earth County. Jody Bollinger said she called and she said, I think I saw a blue grosbeak in Albert Lee, around Albert Lee. And I had to tell her that it uh, was a limited uh, possibility, but it's everything is possible. Usually they're just seen in the very southwest corner. But this one's been hanging around Blue Earth County for a while, so you never know. Uh, Ken Spellman sent me a wonderful New York Times article about the birds you could hear in New York City now. Uh, Bernie Sonic said, Al, I have a couple guys from Minneapolis avoiding all the turmoil going on. They're looking for a couple of hiking trails in the Wells, Albert Lee, to Blue Earth area. I know there's one in Albert Lee, which the Lions here in Minnesota Lake are trying to copy for the old mill trail. I don't know if it's a state park or another park in Albert Lee. Any suggestions would be appreciated. We met these guys a month ago at Near Strand to hike, and just to be able to visit with them, they're avid hikers and photographers. Uh, Myrie Big Island uh, State Park is lovely. A lot of trails there. The Blazing Star Trail that comes uh, off uh, Frank Hall Park in Albert Lee and heads out to the state park. And the Audubon Preserve and Albert Lee are great. Arrowhead County Park by Freeborn. Uh, White Woods County Park near Twin Lakes are delightful places to visit. I like Steinberg Nature Park in Blue Earth. I put on uh, uh, a bazillion miles on those places, and I love them all. So these guys should be able to get some hiking miles in there, plus see enough natural beauty to keep a camera happy. So I hope this is of some small help. Uh, a listener said, I am tethered to home. How about some bird movies to watch? Oh, what a good request. I love it. It is. And of course, everybody will say, what's the most famous bird movie? It, probably Alfred Hitchcock's classic horror story, The Birds, which you might expect is not my favorite. I just I, I don't like the movie. <laughs> it just... Uh, uh, it's not good. The How about birds, one flew uh, over the cuckoo's nest? Isn't that a bird? Oh, I, yeah, <laughs> I like that movie, though. That's a good But I don't movie. necessarily think it's about birds, per se. It's not, no. no. Uh, the Big Year is good. Uh, don't expect the birds they see to be the actual birds they would see. So for some reason, they varied quite a bit from the book. The book... You know, how many times are we told that? The book is much better than movie. We hear that a lot, and I think this is one case where it's certainly true. Uh, Rare Birds, uh, I liked Rare Birds a lot. Uh, William Hurt starred in it as a chef that went off and he uh, got his own restaurant that's failing. So he, I believe it was a Labrador duck. He got a mounted Labrador duck. And he floated it out in the water and had pictures taken. And uh, you know, he would call the radio shows where guys like me are just bloviating about, <laughs> oh, that's impossible to see that bird. And what well, it looked like? And then he'd send these photos around. So all these birders from everywhere got all excited. So they head out to this restaurant, and all of a sudden his restaurant is just going great guns. Uh, the birder 
Winged Migration is wonderful. March of the Penguins is just a terrific film. Oh, I, I've but, seen that one so many times because the boys love that. The March of the Penguin with Morgan Freeman narrating is oh, just an amazing movie. It's one of those that you can watch a lot, and you you notice something different each time. There's a, a newer one, The Crimson Wings, Mystery of the Flamingos, that's also good. Uh, a Ghost Bird is good, A Birder's Guide to Everything, The Birdmen. Uh, the Birdmen, uh, I believe that's the one that Fred Willard, who just passed away, was in. And then one of my favorites that nobody's ever heard of, probably, The Love God. And that starred Don Knotts as a publisher of a birding magazine. And I didn't include series like The Life of Birds. Boy, you can take David Attenborough, you can take a a week there and watch all that, or any animated films. But I hope those are uh, some that you'll be able to find. I think uh, uh, talking to a friend where been, again, uh, staying at home, so he has Netflix and uh, I don't know, Hulu and he can find just about anything he wants to watch somewhere in those offerings that he has. Uh, kind of a strange, got a call from a listener, said, I'm not interested in cameras. I don't want to talk to anybody about cameras. <laughs> okay. I want birding binoculars. And um, there are places that have binoculars, and I sure don't mean to demean any local ones. Uh, I but this person wants somebody that is concentrates on birding binoculars, wants to talk to somebody about birding binoculars. The, the only one, there used to be a number of them around, but the only one I'm familiar with, and that doesn't mean other ones aren't good, and I have no skin in this game, but it's Red Start Birding. And you can just go to redstartbirding.com, or if you want to call them, it's 833 833- Two six two one five six eight eight three three two six two one five six eight, and they will give you all the advice you need. And they have um, great products from uh, uh, lower priced ones to uh, those where you want to, you know, use up all your retirement earnings to buy one. But they they will give you good advice. And if anyone knows of uh, another one, I know uh, places like I'm sure Shields has some, Cabela's has some. Um, I I know some would maybe uh, hunting binoculars is more common in some of the places. There's not a lot of fishing binoculars out there. I don't know why that is. I think <laughs> aren't those called depth finders where you see the fish under the water and they're little blobs or something like that? But you're probably right. That's why there's no fishing binoculars. I, yeah. I always thought they should have some of those. I hope everybody gets outside and just wanders around. Be careful today. It's going to be really, really hot. And uh, you don't want to overheat or get burned or any of those nasty things that happens. But um, get out and walk a little bit. It's good for the soul, clear the mind. and just uh, It's amazing the thoughts you have when you're putting one foot in front of another. Uh, You can uh, at least try to make sense of everything. And uh, lastly... I, you know, I, TV, uh, Gail and I do not have a working TV because we're just uh, odd, I guess would be the reason. <laughs> but I remember using a needle nose pliers to turn the channel selector 
on our old TV when I was a boy. <laughs> I think that, that we might have had to do that at one point too, Al. <laughs> oh, they had that plastic channel yeah. collector that indicated channel numbers. <laughs> and this one had broken before we'd even obtained the TV, so it came without one. But Dad says, we'll just use the needle nose. Uh, Mother had convinced my father that we needed a TV so the furniture would have something to point at. <laughs> if the turn has got to look at something. So he'd use that pliers to click, 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 to, to change the channel until my hand went numb, and then I'd stop. And I hoped it was on one of the three channels we received. And the first TV I purchased, all on my own, had a broken volume knob, but it was a deal I couldn't turn down. I remember, <laughs> folks, heartless while we're driving past, uh, thanks for listening to me. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company, and I'm glad you are a, a, a free person again. <laughs> Thank you, Al. Hey, it's always great to chat with you. We'll be back again next week. Look forward to it. All right, bye-bye. Our good friend Al Bat always enjoy visiting with him. It is 10:31, and you are listening to a Minnesota morning. And as Al mentioned, it is hot outside. I'm going to see how the temp has warmed up because it's supposed to get up to.